If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 62 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this Sunday, September 6th, 2020. Now let's get things started by, as always, giving our shout-outs to the Team Left Jab United Radio Network, as well as Grunt Talks MLB. First up, as always, Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Uncensored and the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms at Team Left Jab and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, you name it. Be sure to check out Team Left Jab. And our other shout-out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and, of course, where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, follow the main man behind the website, Darren, on Twitter, at YankeeReport28. Special thanks to Grunt Talks MLB and Team Left Jab for helping spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. And also, don't forget, guys, that you can help spread the word about Yapping Yankees every week as well, and also stay updated on everything having to do with both me and the Yankees by following me on all social medias. You can find me on Facebook at Mike Scudero NY. Be sure to follow me there. That's where my fan page is. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on my Instagram at Mike Scuds. 97. And do not forget that Yapping Yankees is available on all four of these platforms, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And always remember to subscribe and listen on all four of those platforms. But you know something, guys? We are not wasting any time today here on episode 62. And as you can probably imagine, I am not in a good mood today whatsoever. I am disgusted. And this rant has been weighing on me for days. So if you'll be so kind, just allow me to get it out of my system. And also, I do want to put a slight disclaimer before I get going here. As a reminder, that I do give everyone, everyone, at least a little bit of slack for whatever happens this season negatively. This is obviously a season and a year overall, unlike that of any we've ever seen before. Every step of the way this season has been uncharted waters with bizarre and unimaginable routines and outcomes and so on. So, as I've said in the past, because of this hectic year, there really isn't a word in the English language to properly describe just how crazy it's all been. I give everybody at least a bit of slack, and I think that's fair. I'm even giving myself a little bit of slack over my prediction that I made before the season started of what their record would be this year, because very few people, if anybody, probably predicted they'd be this bad at this moment. I doubt much of anybody did. And this year is harder than any, of course, to make predictions. But I'd still like to meet with my preseason self making that 41-19 and prediction and just smack him in the face regardless. But with that being said, guys, despite the slack being given out on my behalf, this has become a joke. An absolute joke. Today in Baltimore will be game number 40 in this 60-game shortened season. And ever since the series at Yankee Stadium, when the Rays swept the hell out of the Yankees, nothing, nothing has been the same since that sweep. 
from injuries to the way the entire team has played. Nothing has been the same. And it really is hard to believe that this is even the same season from that series to now. That the Yankees actually started off with a 16-6 record before that Tampa series. Then, as of Thursday night, after that disgraceful loss to the Mets, they had lost 10 of their last 14 games. After they split the doubleheader a couple of days ago against Baltimore, barely took them extra innings to hardly squeeze a victory out of that first game, they had lost 11 of their last 16 after that doubleheader was over. And then after last night's infuriating loss, they had lost 12 of 17. In a 162-game season, you could afford it. There's plenty of time to make it up in a normal marathon season. In a 60-game season? Different story, obviously. And who knows which way they'll come up with to disgust us today. Right now as I'm recording, game time is about a half an hour away, so we'll see which way they come up with to disgust us today. Or which ways, because of course, we know it could be plural too. I'll probably be reacting to the earlier part of the game once we're towards the end of the show, maybe around the weekly recap when we're recapping this past week's action. Boy, how appropriate would that be? But again, who knows which way they'll come up with today to disgust us. Again, it has just been infuriating. But what I do know, though, is this team is in a lot of trouble as far as the postseason is concerned, even with expanded playoffs. There are only three games over 500 coming into today's game, barely clinging to second place in the AL East. The race for first place against Tampa Bay is done with. They're five and a half games over now, and they barely lose. But again, when it comes to second place, they're barely clinging to it thanks to the Red Sox miraculously pulling out a victory against the Blue Jays last night, who, by the way, for those who don't know, are a promising young team who the Yankees are playing 10 times in the coming three weeks remaining in the 60-game season. And as of right now, the Yankees and the Blue Jays have the same record. They're both 21-18, and and if the Yankees keep losing like this, yes, they do risk not even being one of those eight teams in the AL to make the playoffs. And if not even expanded playoffs can save you, to say the least, you've got problems. And as far as those problems, where do we even begin? It's all the concerns that we've expressed the last couple of weeks just amplified even further. The offense stinks. The pitching rotation, and especially the bullpen, which as we know is often considered the strength of the Yankees, stinks. And you obviously still have the injuries to the key players that, without question, are hurting this team enormously. The injuries are a constant, and they are always hurting this team. And it seems like everyone is made of glass. It's become comical at this point. And all throughout, you have a team that simply comes out every day looking like they have no answers at all for anything. A team that has faced adversity miserably, often looks lifeless, and in many scenarios lately, just gets straight up embarrassed. And then afterwards, I have to listen to Aaron Boone, who you guys know I'm very fair towards. You know that. Don't play that with me. Don't even think of saying otherwise. Some of you say I'm too fair toward him at times, and that although I criticize him at times when I feel it's fair to, that it's not enough. But after these awful, awful games, I have to listen to Aaron Boone, Mr. Positive, tell us about nothing but positives. And listen, we've been over this at nauseum. I don't need to be told this. I know, alright? I know. I know that it's not in Aaron Boone's nature to go to a press conference in front of the media and get fired up. I know it's not in his nature. And we don't know what he does behind the scenes. But to the media, I know he doesn't get crazy. I know. We all know that. Trust me, we've seen plenty of it. I wasn't born yesterday. I eat, sleep, and breathe this team. Always. And that's how it'll be until the day I take my last breath. But my God, after the atrocious games that we've been witness to, I do not care to hear about positives, Aaron. I don't mind that mindset when they're in a regular rough patch or anything like that. 
or if, you know, there are actually any positives to go off of, I'm the first to mention them. You guys know I can definitely be positive, and I do a good job at being as positive as possible with the Yankees. But lately, the way they've looked day in and day out for weeks with no end in sight... I'm not interested in endless positivity. I'm sorry, Aaron. This team's got problems. Lots of them. Acknowledge them. I honestly cannot blame people for maybe wanting to hear some criticizing or see some aggravation after constant losses that has those watching ready to launch their TV remote through their televisions. The offense cannot score both in general lately and especially not in situational hitting moments. They just can't. And the days they do manage to get to like four or five runs, and it'll still be like pulling teeth to even get there. But even when they do, the pitching usually collapses. No lead has been safe. No lead at all. If the Yankees had a 6-1 to lead on a given day, I would not feel safe. And then, in big opportunities, the offense also fails to score more necessary runs or tack on insurance runs, which usually ends up coming back to bite them. And if those elements, the starting pitching and offense, are actually seldom working together, the bullpen, especially even the back end lately, with and without Zach Britton before and after he was reinstated this past week from the IL, blows the game late. Britton and especially Chapman have been coughing it up a lot lately two of some of the best bullpen arms in the game. And from prior weeks, as we've spoken about, we know that even Chad Green and Adam Adovino have had their days. And when it comes to the middle guys, don't even get me started on guys like Luis Sessa. And although he's new this year, Nick Nelson. And although his ERA actually isn't even that bad this year, he'll still give up runs in plenty of important appearances when he shouldn't even be in the game. And he's rarely a treat to watch. Jonathan Holder. People have just had enough of seeing him for years on end now. But this team, they're just not working as a unit as a team, never on the same page, all around. And of course, some days, every aspect of the team will be on the same page, and of course, that same page being playing terribly. There have been plenty of games that the Yankees have lost that they should have won, definitely should have won, that we've already spoken about last week and even the week prior. But it definitely continued this past week. And I know they've been missing their top guys, I know that. I mentioned it earlier because how can you not that injuries are certainly a big part of this. And maybe when everyone comes back and if they stay healthy before the season ends and throughout the postseason, they'll be able to make a huge difference and hopefully help turn this thing around. I know. But if the mentality is, oh, there are eight teams going to the playoffs, we're good. And yes, that's basically the top priority going forward. Just make sure you're one of those eight to go to the playoffs. Because as we know, from then on in the playoffs, anything can happen. Especially, again, if the Yankees get their all-star IL team back from injury. But all I'm saying is they better be careful. Because sometimes in life, when you mentally shoot for the bare minimum, you might just find yourself left behind. And it's not impossible for that to happen here. I'm not saying it will happen, or that I believe it'll happen, but it's certainly possible. And those who are ignoring the fact that it's possible are just in denial. The numbers are there. It is possible for it to happen. You've got the Blue Jays. They're a threat. And the Yanks, again, play them 10 times in the coming weeks, starting tomorrow. And the Yankees have the same record as them right now, while struggling to even beat teams like the O's this weekend. You've also got the Twins, who are hanging around right there with the Yanks and the Jays for the bottom qualifiers for the postseason. The Yanks, of the eight playoff teams as of right now, are the sixth seed, with the Twins being the seventh and the Jays being the eighth. And all of this, again, before action starts today. 
And yes, on the other hand, the Yankees aren't far behind the third, fourth, or fifth seeds at the moment either, seeing as the fifth seed is held by the Astros, who also have the same record as the Yanks heading into today, and the Yanks and Astros are only three games behind the Indians for the four seed, who are only a half game behind the White Sox for the third. So yeah, the Yanks aren't too far from some teams above, but honestly, how confident do you feel in the Yanks' chances of catching teams like the Indians or the White Sox with the way they've been playing? So naturally, because they've been playing so terribly, you look to see who's under them, just to see how much they're in jeopardy and how much more losing they could afford to do before they're in real trouble. And when you do look underneath that eight seed, the Orioles, who, as I just said before, the Yankees have even had trouble with this weekend, and the Tigers are only about three games or so behind that eight seed. So it's not impossible to miss out on the playoffs for the Yankees if they don't get back on track. Right now, the Orioles are three games behind them, and if the Orioles win today, they'll be only two behind them. That's not a lot. Not to mention, again, as I just said, the Tigers are right there too. Imagine having to scoreboard watch the Tigers. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine it because it's happening right now. So again, it's not impossible. That's all I'm saying. And as a reminder, although quite a bit can still happen in this time span, it'll be here before we know it. The final game of the season is just three weeks from today. Just a reminder. And again, I know a lot can happen in that time span, but it'll be here before we know it. September 27th, which will be episode 65 of Yapping Yankees. So they had just better be careful. That's all. Just being realistic, and you have to pay attention to both sides of it. And the truth of it is, if they're not careful, they could miss out on the postseason whether you like it or not, even with expanded playoffs. It is a possibility, and they have to be careful. But listen, we're going to get into the meat of everything I'm saying as we go along through the show, of course, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself, although I know I just threw a lot at you right out of the gate there, but I just had to get that off my chest. We still do have a lot to discuss today, though, so I'll give you a rundown as usual. We got our social media segment, of course, and yes, I changed it up again for this week from a poll to another Q&A, as you guys saw on social media. I wanted to, again, hear some of your questions, and I even included Facebook this week. I gave the Facebookers a chance to submit questions, so this social media segment today is across the main three platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'll read as many questions as I can throughout those platforms, then we'll run through this past week's Yankees news, which these days obviously mostly consists of injury updates and corresponding roster moves, but also we'll talk quickly about the trade deadline coming and going this past Monday, and then we'll recap this past week's action, which, as we know mostly just contained a lot of repeated aggravation and frustration, to put it mildly, nearly every day. And all throughout, you'll obviously be hearing the details of every ounce of frustration that I just poured out to you in this introduction to the show. So without further ado, let's get to this week's Q&A. I'll be jumping around all three of the social medias for these questions, and we'll probably read and answer about 10 to 15 of them as usual. So let's get to it. Up first is my good friend Tina on Twitter at MountainGal456, and Tina says, There seems to be a lot of talk on social media regarding Boone's managing of late. After listening to his press conference, can you see why he has made some of the decisions that have been made questionable by the fans, media, and etc.? Thank you. Well, as I said before, Anybody who knows me knows that I'm generally fair towards Aaron Boone. I really am. And lately, the main big decision that he made that I've had a problem with and I expressed that I had a problem with, if you go back to last week's episode of Yapping Yankees, episode 61, be sure to go back and listen to that if you didn't already. But the one main decision lately that I really criticized him over was him taking out Jay Happ in that start against the Mets when he was really just mowing them down. And again, I did not use hindsight for that decision. I said while it was happening, on Twitter too, 
that it was not the right decision, and then a couple of minutes later, Adam Adovino came in and gave up that game-tying home run off the foul pole to Wilson Ramos. We remember this. But I typically tend to put more fault on the players when they don't come through than Aaron Boone, typically. But of course, and I've expressed it many times in the past as well, there are some in-game decisions that make me scratch my head a little bit. I think we experienced that with all managers at one point or another. But for the most part lately, I just think it's really a product of the players just not doing their job. The one thing I will say lately that I take some issue with is the constant resting of guys when they don't seem to need it. And this isn't a new thing. This is a habit that the Yankees have going way back to the Girardi days. And it annoyed me then too, but nowadays it's even worse. For example, DJ yesterday. And I know, as Aaron Boone said, he'd been playing basically every day since he came off the IL. But even in the Yankees' Zoom Room press conference when DJ was talking to the media, they asked him, DJ, do you really think you needed a day off today? And he just straight up said, uh, no, not really. And today, Glaber Torres, as we'll also talk about later in Yankees news when we talk about injury updates, Glaber Torres just yesterday was reinstated off the IL and played his first game back just last night against Baltimore. And today, he has a day off. Why give him the day off? He just got back yesterday. So yeah, if I had to say one thing in particular where I can definitely understand the frustration when it comes to Aaron Boone or whoever's making these sort of decisions in the Yankees organization, the resting days are probably the aspect that really irritates me nowadays more so than anything when it comes to the decision making. God forbid you give somebody like Tyler Wade a day off, somebody who's just been absolutely brutal and feels like he's out there every single day. And yes, I really don't understand his attachments to certain guys out in the bullpen, like Luis Sessa, for instance. Like I said, some of his in-game decisions definitely make me scratch my head a little bit at times. But there are plenty of times where I don't consider everything to be his fault. I mean, there are people out there who just blame every little thing on him, and I am not one of those people. I think I'm very fair with my criticisms against Aaron Boone whenever I'm to make them. But yeah, Tina, that's basically all I have to say about that. The resting days, they do frustrate me a bit, and I understand other people's frustration. And there's the occasional in-game decision at certain times that makes me scratch my head, but I feel like we have those moments with basically every manager in baseball at one point or another. More often than not, I think, it's just the players not doing their jobs. And you'll hear about a lot of that happening even more so in this past week's games when we recap this past week's action later on in the show in our weekly recap segment. But yes, inevitably, some decisions that Boone makes makes me scratch my head. Sometimes he doesn't even seem to have much of an explanation for some of them. And although it's not in his nature, I understand people wanting to see a little bit more frustration or passion in his demeanor in these tough times. I'm admittedly one of those people. At Julian Guillarte 1 says, How and when does this disaster end? Well, it ends when the Yankees remember that you actually have to make contact with the baseball for anything to happen in this sport. And as I said also before, the pitching has to come through, and they also have to get some people back from injury. They have a lot of key players still on the IL, as we know, mainly Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Glaber Torres was there for a while, but as we know, he's back now. But you were missing him for a while, especially when just before he got hurt, he was really just starting to heat up, if you remember. So they also have to have guys come back from injury too, but I hope that answers the question, Julian. At Laura underscore Iceman says, Who do you blame more for the slump the Yankees are in, the offense or the bullpen? Well, I blame them both an awful lot. They take turns. The Yankees have blown plenty of games out in the bullpen that they should have won, especially late in the game, even when they get to the back end, guys. I mean, just the other night, when before this game against them, the Mets were one of the worst hitting teams in baseball, with situational hitting, runners in scoring position, and you would think when the Yankees have a 7-4 lead in the 8th inning, which we'll get to later again when we recap this past week's action, you would think when they have that lead in the bottom of the 8th inning, especially against a team like that, 
You would think that guys like Zach Britton and Roldis Chapman could get the job done, but they didn't, and there have been plenty of examples of that these last two, three weeks. It makes you miss guys like Tommy Canely. But then, of course, lately, especially even this weekend against the Orioles, you constantly see the Yankees offense just continuing to struggle in general, and especially in situational hitting moments. They have bases loaded, nobody out, one out. You feel like, oh, they're going to find a way to not score here. And a lot of the time, they do find that way to not score. Or, as I said earlier, when they do find it in them to make it to four or five runs, maybe, which, again, is stressful enough on the way there, how much it requires out of them to get a simple run on the board these days. But even when they do that, they can't tack on additional runs, especially if the other team is to come back if the pitching is to then collapse, and they can't add insurance runs, which in many of these games also has come back to bite them. So it's close. There have been plenty of instances where each of these components on the team, the offense and the bullpen, have really coughed it up. So honestly, this is a tough question. But gun to my head, I guess I'll say offense, because we have just seen so many scenarios where they cannot score, whether they be facing good or bad pitching. They cannot tack on additional runs. They cannot put insurance runs on the board. More often than not, they look completely lifeless, like they've never gone up to the plate and tried to hit a baseball before. So yeah, very tough decision, but gun to my head, I have to pick the offense. At Mozilli asks, what would you rather have implemented forever? Runner on second in extras or seven inning doubleheaders? I can't stand seven-inning doubleheaders, and I don't really like the runner on second and extras either, but I tolerate both of them for this year, obviously, because of the circumstances. But although I'm not generally a fan of either one, if I had to choose, I'll say runner on second and extras. I really cannot stand seven-inning doubleheaders. Chopping innings off of games in any other season besides this one, I think really just alters things way too much. And if you were to keep the runner on second and extras rule around, and they said this a bit too on the Yes Network broadcast when talking about this very subject, but I would probably have them implemented in like the 14th or the 15th inning or something like that when it goes really, really long. Because I do still like extra innings. I don't want every extra inning, every half inning, to have a runner on second to start. I do still very much enjoy extra inning baseball. But I guess a slight part of me could understand somebody being like, oh, when you get to the 15th inning, it might be a little ridiculous. So maybe when you get to like the 15th inning, I'd be okay with putting the runner on second, I guess, if I had to be. So yeah, if I had to choose, I would keep the runner on second and extras rule. But obviously, thank you all for your questions so far. Let's keep going. At TJT Whitting here says, How do you think the Yankees would be doing if Joe Girardi was still the manager? Ah, very interesting. Joe Girardi. Well, I'll just say right now, there were definitely plenty of decisions that Girardi made in games and whatnot that I really had a problem with too. And that a lot of other people had problems with too. How quickly people forget. But one thing that I think we would have seen more of is a bit more frustration towards the media. Like, not at the media, but just about how the Yankees are doing when addressing them. Like, showcasing more frustration about how they're doing to the media when asked certain questions about aspects of the team. There were definitely times where Joe Girardi was visibly frustrated after certain really bad losses when addressing the media. And as I said earlier, you really don't see that all that often at all with Aaron Boone, if ever. So I think it'd be a little bit different in that sense. Maybe Girardi behind the scenes, too, would have gotten a bit more crazy about just how straight-up awful they've been. And again, we don't know how Aaron Boone is behind the scenes, but if I had to say, that's probably the difference that I would see if Joe Girardi were the manager. That's basically it, I guess. 
probably just a bit more visible frustration when addressing the media and being more bothered by certain things that have been happening these last two or three weeks with the Yankees. At Tegan Graham 23 says, personally, I'm on the Eric Kratz in Aaron Boone out train. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I know that the hashtag fire Boone has been going around like crazy on Twitter lately. And I don't know about replacing his manager, but I will say this one thing. And I did address this on Twitter yesterday. So if you want to go look at this, be sure to take a look at my Twitter timeline and find the tweet that I put out about Eric Kratz. But Eric Kratz has really just become so beloved lately in the Yankee community. And I love every second of it. He is truly a really likable guy, and it really is a shame that he's 40 years old. But he's such a likable guy. You can see how charismatic he is. He's proven to be pretty reliable defensively behind the plate, and he even comes through with his big hits every now and again. But even more so, he was recently asked by the media how he feels about the developing of Latin pitchers and how he feels being a part of that in helping develop these guys in the minor leagues, helping develop guys like Davey Garcia and other guys, kids that are expected to be a vital part of the future. And Eric Kratz, the sentimental guy that he is, and the likable, charismatic guy that he is, he got emotional, saying how much of an honor it is to help develop those kids, and how he really hopes that somebody would do the same for his kids someday. Like, the parent side of him, the father side of him, definitely kicked in big time. And honestly, it was just really touching, and really heartfelt. He really felt the emotion. And he just genuinely seems like such a good guy. And I don't know about you guys, I have seen you guys talk about how much you like the guy too on Twitter and everything, but he has a fan in me now. I love guys like that. And if he wants to be, maybe after he retires, if he wants to be a coach of any sort, especially like a youth development coach, the Yankees would be foolish to not give him a job like that. It's clear how passionate he is about that. So a managerial job, <laughs> I don't really know how he would do with that, but as far as any coaching job that he would be interested in doing, especially like a youth development sort of thing? Hell yeah, throw it his way. At Laker 477 says, Mike, what do you think is the biggest issue for the Yankees this season? The never-ending injuries, the lack of production from the offense, the ineffective bullpen, or Boone's lack of emotion? Well, yes, I already told you how I feel about the way Boone addresses the negatives about this team. He more so just really prefers to talk about positives, and of course these days I really just don't care to hear that. There has simply been little to nothing whatsoever positive about the Yankees these days. They're just so unbelievably bad. But right now, these questions these days are tough. I mean, when people ask me, oh, what's the biggest issue? This, this, that. I mean, they've all had unbelievable impacts. The injuries, of course, to the key players definitely hurts this team a great deal. There's no denying that. But also, as I've said, the offense has been brutal. The bullpen and even the rotation at times has been brutal. So yeah, Rob, that's really a tough question. It really is. Because at some point or another, all of those aspects of the team have been prevalent at one point or another. The injuries, the lack of offense, the lack of pitching. And yes, there really doesn't seem to be that much attention to the negative. When maybe, just maybe, there needs to be. And for their sake, I just hope there is more attention to the negative behind the scenes. Because when it comes to addressing the media, we really don't see the negatives being addressed. So... I really don't know. It's a tough question to ask which one has been the biggest issue. This is not a clear-cut answer. But like I did before, it's an extremely, extremely close contest between the offense and the bullpen. But I'll go with the offense again. I'll stay consistent. At Peace Now for Life says, Hi Mike, do you think the Yankees will extend DJ LeMayhew this offseason? And what do you think would be a fair deal to offer him? Uh, they should, otherwise they're the dumbest organization in sports. And a fair deal would be whatever DJ wants. I hope that's a simple enough answer. 
at WNL Law 99 says, I think these are the topics that reflect where we are right now. Quote unquote, Yankee fans are the best fans because blank, and Yankee fans are the worst because blank. <laughs> well, as you said under that, you said that's a whole podcast's worth, especially the second one. You're absolutely right, so I'll try to keep this one short. But Yankee fans are the best fans in the world because... I would say because of their passion. Whether people love or hate Yankee fans, there's one thing that everybody has to agree on, and that is that we are very passionate. Whether we are insufferable or fair, we are very passionate. And Yankee fans are the worst because the second something bad happens, they're booing somebody or asking for them to be fired. And there's a whole lot of overreacting happening. But I guess you could argue that that's as a result of the passion, in some cases at least. But yeah, there are definitely plenty of annoying Yankee fans out there, for sure. Is that a good enough answer for trying to keep it short? I hope so. <laughs> All right, up next is at NYYFanForever96, and they say, do you think the Yankees are in danger of making the playoffs? Yeah, they are. And anybody else who denies that is simply in denial. If you need any proof heading into today, just head back to the introduction of the show and listen back to the numbers I gave as far as standings are concerned, both in the postseason seating and also in the American League East. Heading into today, the Orioles and the Tigers are only about three games behind the Yankees and the Blue Jays, who have the same record of 21-18, and 18, and the Yankees are seeded 6th, and the Blue Jays are seeded 8th. And if the Yankees lose today, and if the Blue Jays win, not only will the Blue Jays move past the Yankees, both in American League East standings, taking 2nd place, but they'll also move up in the postseason seeding. And if the Yankees lose to the Orioles today, the Orioles will only be two games behind the Yankees, which is not a lot, especially considering how the Yankees have been playing lately. And so far this series, the only way they've been able to beat the Orioles, which is a team they have beaten the crap out of the last couple of years, was on a Game 1 doubleheader victory that they barely notched, as I said earlier, on an extra inning victory. That was on Friday night, and obviously Game 2 they ended up losing. They ended up losing last night, and I would not be surprised if they ended up losing today as well. And I usually have a pretty good knack with this stuff. And in just a few minutes, the game's about to get underway, so we'll see throughout this whole thing, depending on how deep into this podcast recording that I can react to this game before I end today, we'll see how much my prediction about that is right, that I would not be surprised if the Yankees lose today. So before the start of the game today, I'm going on the record saying that I think the Yankees will lose. I just have no confidence in this team right now, even against a team mostly consisting of minor leaguers like the O's. But yes, to answer your question, just being realistic and looking at the numbers, yeah, the Yankees are in some danger, and they've got three weeks left to correct it. All right, let's do one more here on Twitter, and then we'll take a few from Facebook and Instagram. But lastly, here on Twitter, we have my Twitter buddy, at Christian underscore NYYST, and Christian jokingly leaves a tweet saying, if George were alive, and says, now picture an old man being demonstrative, waving his fist in the air. He would never stand for this losing. Boone must be fired. Who should be the new manager? And when am I allowed to want him fired too? Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> oh boy. Well, listen, obviously if George were alive and if George were George, he'd probably be outraged, but he's not. And for those who do still live by the thought of what would happen if George were still alive, I hate to tell you, but the boss has been gone for 10 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. I remember when he passed away like it was yesterday, 10 years ago. But yeah, if it makes you feel better, you can think about George going absolutely crazy and firing everybody and doing his thing like he used to. But he's gone for a while now. We gotta get past the if George were alive sort of a thing. I mean, you can talk about it and you can think about that. I'm not telling you you can't think about that. 
but he's not here anymore. How long are you going to go saying, oh, what would happen if George were alive? But yes, Christian is clearly making fun of those guys just saying at every turn to fire Boone, saying if George were alive... And if a new manager is to come in, how long can I go until I can ask when is he going to be fired? <laughs> a lot of fans in the fan base just like to rag on each other. It's funny. But that's the most serious answer I guess I can give to your sarcastic question, Christian. <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you all on Twitter for your submitted questions. I hope I answered them to your liking. But let's quickly get to a couple more on Instagram and Facebook. My good friend James Celestin asks, What do you think the Yankees' outlook for the season is? Well, I assume you mean just goals going forward. What does their goal have to be going forward? And right now, honestly, at this point, I just have to say, just make sure you're one of those eight teams... Just make sure you are one of those eight teams that go to the playoffs when the season ends in three weeks. That just has to be the top priority. And however you have to do that, just get it done. Offense needs to wake up. Starting pitching needs to wake up. The bullpen needs to wake up. The killer mindset needs to wake up. And of course, get your guys back from injury as well. M. Cohen914 says, What are some big offseason moves we need to make? Last season, it seemed that all we needed was a starter, but now it's a mess. Well, yeah, they needed that ace, Garrett Cole, and they went out and got him. But then after that, unfortunately, James Paxton got his back surgery, and now he's out, of course, because of his flexor strain. Luis Severino got Tommy John surgery, and the pitching rotation took its hits. You also have injuries taking place all throughout other aspects of the team, just like last year. And of course, you have next man up guys who are in there right now because of those injuries, not performing a fraction as well as they did last year. Whether it be Mike Ford, Mike Talkman, Tyler Wade has been a disaster. And it shows you just how fortunate the Yankees were last year when they had all these guys and more coming through the way they did. Because that same thing is not happening this year. Whether you want to attribute it to the fact that there's no minor league season this year, or you want to call last year a fluke for a lot of them, it's just not happening this year. And then of course, obviously COVID-19 happened too, which messed up the entire season. So, yeah, a lot of things happened since that was their main objective last offseason, just getting that starter, getting that ace, and then they did end up getting Garrett Cole, and before all of those things that I just mentioned ended up happening, it really did seem like this Yankee team was ready to win a championship. It truly did. But obviously, a lot has happened. As far as this offseason, the top priorities right away, before even looking elsewhere, have to be re-signing DJ LeMahieu and re-signing Masahiro Tanaka, who are both free agents after the season ends. Those are musts. Those are the first things you do when the offseason starts this year. As far as everything else, well, if everybody stays healthy, and of course, that's a humongous if, <laughs> but if everybody stays healthy, this Yankee team is a championship team. But of course, as of these days, they're made of glass, so that has not been possible lately. Then we had my girlfriend, Vic Salimo, and she says, do you think that Gardy's going to retire after this season? Well, right now, Brett Gardner does have that option for next year, that $20 million option, which, after his production this year... Paying him $20 million if that option's picked up next year would be preposterous. And I like and respect Gardner, especially for the loyalty that he's shown to the Yankees. And the Yankees, obviously, as we also spoke about last week or the week before, have returned that loyalty. Some would say much more than they should. But right now, obviously, the Yankees have better options out there in the outfield, and especially offensively. So that makes it complicated for Gardner, but he does have that option on the contract next year. Right now, he's making $12.5 million for this year, and then he has the option for next year. So so honestly, if I had to say no, I don't think he is going to retire. But we have to see what they do with that option come the offseason. Richard Chin on Instagram says, Are you concerned? I don't feel like we're going to sniff the playoffs. Gary shouldn't be the starting catcher. Kratz and Josh Tolley should be starting. Send Gary to the alternate site. Sorry, I need to vent. 
Well, yeah, I would hope a couple of those statements are venting. Like, I would not start Josh Tolley at all. I think he stinks, and I don't think the acquisition of him was necessary. But the Yankees, as we know of the last few years, just love to carry a ton of catchers. As I said earlier, I do love Eric Kratz, and maybe he should get a little bit more playing time than Gary as of right now, because Gary has just been terrible. As someone who has always tried to be a Gary Sanchez defender, there's just, like, no defending him anymore. There just really isn't. The guy is brutal this year. If it weren't for that grand slam last week, and yes, that's a big hit to say, oh, if it wasn't for that, but it's true. If it weren't for that grand slam, there would literally be, like, no reason to play him right now. None at all. And he's not in the lineup today. He has the day off. Thank God. But then at the same time, how do you have him corrected if you don't send him out there? So it's a dilemma. But right now, yeah, Gary Sanchez is just brutal. Lowest average in baseball. He just looks completely lost at the plate. He'll hit a home run every few days, but that's about it. Completely lost at the plate. And he even has his days where he looks plenty bad behind the plate. He's just dreadful to watch right now. But I'm not sure Josh Tolley is the answer to that, and I really don't see the Yankees sending Gary Sanchez down to the alternate site. So, those are my takes on that. And lastly for today, we have my mother, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, Do you think the Yankees could still pull off making the playoffs at the rate of their awful game-playing performance these past few weeks? I'm starting to think that they can't even make it with the amazingly greater opportunities this year to make the playoffs with the strange type of season we're having. Well, yes, Mom, as I said before... They are in danger. It's just true. If you look at the numbers, if you look at the postseason seeding standings as of now, especially if they're to lose today, and even in the American League East, if the Yankees lose today and the Blue Jays win, they'll take second place in the East and the Yankees will fall to third place. And the Yankees will probably be the eighth seed for the playoffs with the Orioles just two games behind. So yes, again, as of this moment, they're in danger. They are. And they have three weeks to correct it, as I said earlier. And that is still plenty of time for a lot of things to happen in that time span. But again, also, it'll be here before we know it. Gotta wake up. I don't know what they're waiting for, but they've gotta wake up. But that is all for this week's social media Q&A. I want to thank each and every one of you who submitted a question. And as always, there were some of you that I could not get to. But whether it's a poll or something else, again, next week, just be sure to always interact with the social media segment here for Yapping Yankees every Saturday, and I'll be sure to get to you in the future. But as always, thank you all so much for the interactions. I always love to hear what's on your mind. But let's keep it going, guys. Let's get right into this past week's Yankees news. We've got roster moves, injury up updates, and what happened at Monday's trade deadline. So let's discuss starting from last Sunday, which as you may recall, was a crazy day for baseball. That was the final day the Yankees played the Mets that weekend when they played them five times in three days. And on that day, of course, they played a doubleheader against the Mets in which they called up Davey Garcia to make his major league debut to make his start in the second game of that doubleheader last Sunday. I said last week how much I hoped that he would have a great debut, and he turned out to have a phenomenal debut. And we'll talk more in depth about that later on in Weekly Recap. But after his phenomenal major league debut... Davey Garcia, who's been the Yankees' 29th man on the roster of late, was optioned back to the alternate site. But everyone, including myself, assumed he'd be back to pitch on Friday's doubleheader against the O's a couple of days ago, and that's exactly what happened as the Yankees again appointed him as their 29th man on Friday to pitch in Game 2 of that doubleheader, and then of course he was optioned again to the alternate site afterwards. But we've already heard, however, obviously, that we'll be seeing him again next week from to make his third start on Wednesday against the Toronto Blue Jays at the Blue Jays home ballpark, which this year, as we know, is in Buffalo. So sending him
him up and down is basically just paperwork, and he is one of those guys on the taxi squad where he does not have to be sent down for at least 10 days before he can return. The Yankees can just send him down and bring him back, so therefore it's just like paperwork, that's all. We'll see him back. And on Monday, that was obviously the day of the trade deadline, and the Yankees did remain idle at the deadline. As far as starting pitching that was available, Mike Clevenger, who I think it's safe to say was probably the biggest name on the trade deadline market, was traded to the Padres. Lance Lynn, another starting pitcher having a great season this year, and you may remember him from two years ago when he was on the Yankees a couple years back, but Lance Lynn remained with the team that he has been on all season long, the Texas Rangers. Robbie Ray, who I was never really big on, used to be on the Diamondbacks. He walks way too many guys. But obviously, it's been said for a couple of years now that from afar, the Yankees have had a bit of an eye on him, but he went to the Blue Jays. And as far as reliever names who are being thrown around, Archie Bradley, formerly a relief pitcher with the Diamondbacks, headed to the Reds. And offensively, Starling Marte headed to the Marlins. And Jonathan VR, who was also being mentioned, although I've only viewed him as an eh player, just one of those names you see and you say eh. <laughs> But VR was dealt to the Blue Jays as well. And obviously a good deal of smaller trades went down too, but those were really the main names being spoken about. But the Yanks stayed idle all throughout, which honestly, I'm okay with. I truly don't feel anyone beyond a Clevenger or a Lance Lynn, who already was a Yankee, although he's much better now than he was when he was here two years ago, but I don't think anyone beyond those two would have really put the Yankees over the top. And as you saw with what Cleveland gave up for Clevenger, and we heard this after the fact too, but the Yankees would have had to have given up a lot. I mean, like, Clint Frazier and a lot more promising young minor league guys. They would have had to, like, blow everything up. Apparently, the asking prices for both him and Lance Lynn were just through the roof. And plus, how massive of a difference could they make just being out there every fifth day or so? Yeah, sure, they could make a difference, but it's not like they're out there every day. It's just not the same with starting pitchers. Again, I'm not saying they couldn't have made a difference at all. And I'm not solely defending the decision to stay idle. I'm just giving reasons that I truly feel to be legitimate. But both with the asking price and given the fact that they're starting pitchers only out there every fifth day, after what would be a huge haul for them, how much help could they really provide? And would they stay that effective when they got here? And as far as others, the best reliever out there that everybody had their eyes on, if my memory serves me correctly, was really Archie Bradley. And the last few years, Archie Bradley's been alright, but right now the Yankees need a lot more than alright. I was never into Robbie Ray, really. I thought he was just an alright starter, and honestly, he walks way too many people. I'm just not really a fan of his, and I feel like getting him would just be making a move for the sake of making a move. And who knows what the asking price was for him. And offensively, really the only one I could see making a difference is probably Starling Marte, who I was really wondering if the Yankees would get. But truthfully, I could live with the Yankees not getting him. As I said, could he have helped things? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But would he have put them over the top? Again, just not really much of anybody other than the Lance Lynn or Mike Clevenger that I truly feel could have put the Yankees over the top. Because the Yankees need something more than just, all right, yeah, he'd be good. They need a lot more than that right now. A lot more than just, oh yeah, let's make a trade to make a trade. So I think if they're going to do any work going forward, it's going to be in the offseason. There were just a lot of names on the market this year for the trade deadline that you'd say, yeah, they'd be all right. But it's not what the Yankees need. They need a lot more than that. And from what was said, a lot of teams, even if it wouldn't have been a fair trade for the Yankees, were asking for guys like Clint Frazier, maybe even Davey Garcia, and a bunch of other really promising prospects. And the Yankees have made it clear that Clint Frazier is not somebody they want to get rid of. Cashman basically said that he's untouchable. And although Davey Garcia, I don't think he's untouchable right now. We haven't really heard specifically on that yet. But the Yankees seem to have a ton of faith in this kid, and he has a bright future ahead of him from what we've seen through his first two major league starts. 
Yes, I know it's just two starts, but the kid is 21 years old, and we've seen good stuff so far. Really good stuff. So, with all of that being said, the Yanks, again, didn't make any moves come the trade deadline, which, despite all the injuries, I think I can live with. I know there are a lot of people out there that wanted to see the Yankees make a move at the deadline, I know. But for me personally, because of all the reasons I just explained, I think I can live with them being idle this year. And any work that's to be done in the future, I see being done in the winter. That's why I was very iffy about when people would ask me deadline questions like, oh, what do you think the Yankees will do? Who's available and everything? I would just sit there and be like, I'm really not sure if they'll do anything at all. Because no big names other than Mike Clevenger or Lance Lynn really jumped out at me. And plus, because of the season that it is in the first place, there were no guarantees this deadline. Nobody knew what was going to happen, or how many teams were going to be willing to move certain guys, or how big of a role the eight teams going to the playoffs were going to play in a team's mindset saying, oh, we don't really need to trade for somebody big because we're in the playoff hunt now that more than half the league is going to the playoffs. Or maybe just in general how different the season is this year because of the virus. It was just very different this year. It wasn't like answering ordinary trade deadline questions from the past. So again, I can live with the Yankees being idle, and I'm not that surprised that they didn't do anything. But also on Monday, Aaron Boone gave more injury updates as far as where guys like Zach Britton were, who we know from last week's episode was just a matter of days away, probably within the week, but he gave updates as far as guys like him and Glaber. With Britton, he said he looked like he'd be ready to come off the injured list in just a couple of days, which would end up being true, as you'll hear again in just a couple of minutes, and that Glaber, this report I didn't understand. But after it was reported that Glaber would be shelved for three to six weeks, we spoke about that last week, but Boone said as of this past Monday that he was getting close already and that he was moving around better than even before the injury and he was excited about his progress and he didn't think he's too far off now. I mean, hey, the sooner the better, of course, no argument there, but this was pretty confusing. I guess he was much closer to the minimum amount of time, the three weeks. But then, on the subject of Glaber, I'm just going to quickly jump to what was said on Wednesday here. Meredith and the Yes Network crew, during the game, gave another update on Glaber, actually saying that he would be back this weekend, during the Baltimore series that's going on right now, which ultimately ended up being true as of yesterday, as we know. So way before even the three weeks in the original statement of three to six weeks by Cashman. So yeah, I don't know what that original statement was or why it was made. Maybe Cashman was being extra safe. But yeah, Glaber's obviously back way sooner than what was originally said last week that I told you about. And I know that this is such an overused pun, but on Glaber Day weekend, no less. <laughs> as he was officially reinstated off the IL yesterday. So obviously, it's great to have Glaber back. As far as Tuesday, speaking of Britain from before, on Tuesday, Zach Britton and Kyle Higashioka were reactivated off the IL. And we know from last week's report that Kyle Higashioka was getting close as well, and he was reactivated alongside Zach Britton. So two more names back from injury after that. Keep him coming. And in turn, Jordy Mercer and 22-year-old right-hander Miguel Yahore, who made his Major League debut Monday night against Tampa and pitched three scoreless innings, hitless too, might I add, very nicely done by the young man, but he and Jordy Mercer were optioned back to the alternate site. And then on Thursday, the Yankees repeated the report about Glaber that they had given prior, that he could be back in the lineup for the first time this weekend in Baltimore, where again, we know Glaber loves to hit, and we know the report of his returning in Baltimore again ended up being true. But they also gave an update on Giancarlo Stanton, and this report is also different information than we originally had last week when we gave the last injury update. I'm 
I'm not even sure why I bother giving you injury updates if they just keep changing a couple of days later. Because quite frankly, the Yankees have been horrible at reporting on the injuries this year. I just have to say that. But all I can do is give you the information that the Yankees report, and that is what I do. That's obviously all any of us can do, right? So anyway, they now said, alongside the Glaber update that had different information that we had from last week, that Stanton is now still, quote-unquote, a bit of a ways away. Now, as of yesterday, he's been hurt with the hamstring for four weeks now already. And he's towards the later parts of recovery and working out to get back, I'd say, or so the Yankees say. He's working out, running at 80%. He's doing his thing. But I originally thought about a week from last week that he would return. So, around now, I guess. But last week, it sounded like that it would be more so around now that he would return, or maybe in the next week or so. But now, not only is it pushed back a bit more, it would seem, probably towards the later part of that original three to six weeks or so for him, but Glaber returned way before him, which is not what anyone expected originally before this week based on reports. It's just so bizarre. Before this week, the reports made it sound like Stanton was way ahead of Glaber as far as return time and Stanton would maybe take about another week or two. But then out of nowhere, and I welcome it, Glaber is back already, and Stanton is still quote-unquote a bit of a ways away. I don't know, it's just so confusing. But this is the information that's given out, guys. And now on to Friday. This is the news that got everybody in a tizzy. It was announced that Clark Schmidt who we've been speaking about for weeks now since so many Yankee fans have wanted to see him again after what they saw from him in Yankee summer camp, joined the Yankees in Baltimore as a member of their taxi squad of players. But obviously being on the taxi squad doesn't mean you're on the 40-man roster. But that changed pretty quickly because Ben Heller was optioned after game one of the doubleheader, which then resulted in Clark Schmidt being added to the 40-man roster. And he did appear in game two of the doubleheader. It wasn't a fun time for him, as you'll hear later, but it was still cool to see him finally make his debut. And also on Friday over at Yankee Stadium, Aaron Judge was seen doing some running and exercising, and Boone said that he still expects Judge to be back before the playoffs. So if I had to guess, maybe another two weeks or so for Judge, because there are only three more weeks left in the season, and if you want him to come back and have some time to get some at-bats in, get some work in the field in so he doesn't go into the playoffs completely cold about two weeks at the most would probably make the most sense. But who knows? And quite frankly, as I said before, who even trusts what the Yankees say as far as injury timelines anymore at this point? But it was nice to hear nonetheless that Judge is doing some activity at least. So those were basically the good pieces of news from Friday. But this season, you can't seem to have any good without more bad when it comes to the Yankees this year. And here's the bad. It turns out that that bone spur that had Gio on day-to-day ended up being more than they originally said because Gio was placed on the 10-day IL with the right elbow bone spur that from last week we know he had, but at the time it was day-to-day. It must have gotten worse because they felt it necessary to place him on the injured list. So Gio Urshela, who is such an important hitter and obviously an elite third baseman, you hope that it's the shortest IL stint possible because this is a devastating blow for the Yankees. I prayed last week that it would stay a day-to-day thing, but it didn't. So he was placed on the IL as of Friday, and obviously, as I said before, a huge blow for the Yankees. Can't seem to have the good without even more bad. And wait, I'm not done yet. (laughs) I'm not done yet. Jonathan Lewisica who, as we know this year, has been mainly used as a long-relief man out of the bullpen for the Yankees, was also placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to September 2nd. And listen to this one. He was placed on the IL with a medical condition that prevents him from playing and necessitates placement on the IL. 
How about that? <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up. You cannot write this stuff up in your wildest thoughts possible. Some Yankee fans at first were obviously thinking COVID, but it was said to not be COVID, and plus, if it was, the games on Friday probably would have been postponed, as well as the rest of the games over the weekend, most likely, and obviously they weren't. So, yeah, a medical condition that prevents him from playing and necessitates placement on the IL. Got it. <sighs> as far as Geo, I just hope he comes back as soon as possible, of course. That is just a monstrous blow. And in turn, because of those two IL placements, the Yankees recalled two Miguels from the alternate site, those two being Yahore and Andujar. And finally, on Saturday, the Yankees announced that they would be optioning Albert Abreu back to the alternate site after Game 2 of the doubleheader on Friday night in order to make room on the roster for Glaber Torres, who, as I told you earlier, was reinstated yesterday morning before last night's game. And they also returned Davey Garcia to the alternate site once again. He was the 29th man on the roster. As we said earlier, we have already been over this, and they've been using him for doubleheaders mainly. So after Friday's doubleheader ended, he was returned to the alternate site officially, but he'll be back on Wednesday, as we said earlier, to make his start in Buffalo against the Toronto Blue Jays. And lastly, another little piece of news, the Yankees did also release right-handed pitcher Adonis Rosa from their alternate site. He was another one of their minor league arms. So, that is your Yankees news from this past week. Now let's get to the nitty-gritty details, all of the fun, and by fun, I mean misery, of this past week's action, all of the games since last Sunday. Obviously, the doubleheader against the Mets last week had not started yet by the time I finished recording, so we'll quickly run through those two games. And this day was exciting. It was a crazy day of baseball. And I mean the positive crazy for the Yankees. So positive that you say, hey, maybe they could take that momentum throughout the week and turn this thing around. But as we know now, that just did not happen. But those games had a lot of people thinking after they were done, myself included. And of course, as a reminder, these are seven inning games that took place last Sunday because it was a doubleheader. But the first game was really the remarkable one. Oh, wait, wait. Hang on one second. I'm looking over my TV and... <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. The game just started, guys, and I'm just reacting live to what just happened in the first inning. <sighs> DJ Stewart... Two-run shot, Yankees are already losing 2-0. <laughs> oh boy, in comes the misery already. And I know it's just the first inning, but with the way things have been going lately, with that happening right away, any little sense of confidence I may have had before the game started is just automatically gone. So Masahiro Tanaka, two-run homer to DJ Stewart, who was doing basically nothing before this series, and is now looking like an all-time great power hitter. <laughs> And it looks like the Yankee offense is already off to a crappy start, which is not a surprise because they're facing somebody making their Major League debut today, and we know now for years how the Yankees always do against guys who they've never seen before, and of course, they always do miserably against guys like that. And if they continue to do that for the rest of the day, it wouldn't be the first time and it probably won't be the last. Complete inability to hit a guy they've never seen before. Complete inability. And it's been like that for years. Years. So, yeah. The Yankees are already down 2-0. <laughs> uh, and again, to DJ Stewart no less, as if yesterday's home run wasn't enough. Two home runs, should I say. This team is so bad. Alright, well let's get back to Sunday's game. So, game one against the Mets. Michael King got the start in this one, and he did all right, going three and two-thirds innings, allowing two runs, striking out three. He did very well in his first three innings of work, but then he ran into some trouble in the fourth inning and had to be taken out. 
And after King, who just gave up those two runs before being taken out, in came Brooks Kriske, who also, to say the least, has not been too fun to watch, especially not on Sunday, because in just an inning and a third of work, he gave up five runs and walked three guys. He was really the reason the Mets really took control of this game at first and made it a 7-2 game. And then fortunately after him, Ben Heller came in for two innings and pitched two shutout frames, and Chad Green would be the one to pitch the last inning and finish things off for the Yankees. Scoring-wise, despite the Mets actually having a 7-2 lead at one point in this game before the Yankees would, as we remember, go on to win in remarkable fashion, despite the Mets having that lead, the Yankees were actually the ones to get on the scoreboard first in the bottom of the first when Mike Talkman grounded out and drove home DJ LeMahieu to make it 1-0 Yankees, and then in the top of the fourth, this was the trouble that Michael King got into before he got taken out, Pete Alonso tied the game on an RBI single, and then Wilson Ramos would give the Mets the lead on an RBI single single, making it 2-1. And then in the bottom of the fourth, Mike Ford would tie the game back up at two by hitting an RBI double, and boy, it's been such a long time since Mike Ford has done anything. Such a long time that it feels like this was the last time he did a single thing all these days ago. But he did tie the game up at two in the bottom of the fourth, and then when Brooks Kriske came in, this is when it all fell apart. In the top of the fifth, Robinson Cano hit a two-run shot to put the Mets ahead 4-2. Then in the top of the sixth, Michael Conforto would put the Mets ahead 6-2 on a two-run double. And then with the bases loaded, Pete Alonso was hit by a pitch, driving home Brandon Nimmo to make it 7-2. And at this point, with just one inning left to go, the Mets are up 7-2. You're saying this one's over. The Yankees lost yet again. Unfreaking believable But little did we know, and much to our surprise, rightfully, so because the Yankees have not had too much of a habit of doing this of late, the Yankees did have a rally in their bones in the bottom of the seventh, the final inning of the game, down by five runs and down to their last out. It was wild. Probably one of the more wild innings I remember in my recent memory, but in the bottom of the seventh, Luke Voigt started the scoring off by hitting a two-run single, driving home Mike Ford and Tyler Wade, and Thyro Estrada, who has just been miserable lately, all throughout most of his time up here, just looking awful at the plate, swinging at terrible pitches, looking at strikes right down the plate, and definitely not doing anybody any favors on the field as well, especially last night, which we'll get to later. But he almost gave everybody a heart attack when he nearly made the last out of the inning at third. Fortunately, the Mets dropped the ball. Because he tried to go to third base, didn't even slide, was a dead duck had the play been made, and that would have ended the game. And given the fact that the Yankees ended up remarkably coming back, thank God that that did not happen. But a really stupid decision by Thyro Estrada to almost make the third out of the inning there by being dead at third had the play been made, and also not even sliding. That would have been the definition of a rookie mistake. You never make the third out of any inning at third base, let alone the last out of the whole game, especially given what happened next. Edwin Diaz would throw a wild pitch, which made Thyro Estrada score to make the score 7-5, to and Aaron Hicks, who was still at the plate for that wild pitch when Thyro Estrada came home to score to make it 7-5, absolutely pimped a ball into the short porch, the first row of the short porch in right field. Probably not the safest thing to do because if that didn't go over the wall, that would have been a horrible look for Aaron Hicks. Because with the way he dropped the bat and really pimped it after it was hit, you would have thought the ball was going to the third deck, but it went into the first row of the right field short porch, and luckily for him, it did go out. Because he was by no means running out of the box. But thankfully for him, it was a game-tying, epic two-run homer with the Yankees down to their last out, down by five, and this completed what was an incredible comeback against the Mets. 
I was going absolutely insane, as was everybody else. I could not imagine what Yankee Stadium would have sounded like had fans been in attendance. It would have been straight up chaos. But again, at this point, it was tied up 7-7, to headed to the 8th inning, which again, in these 7-inning doubleheaders, is considered extra innings. And after Chad Green pitched an epic, scoreless top of the 8th inning, striking out the side, Gio Urshela would come up in the bottom of the 8th and hit a walk-off RBI single. The Yankees would win in extraordinary fashion, 8-7. to You can only imagine the incredible mindset that they had heading into the second game of the night, awaiting Davey Garcia's Major League debut. So after that crazy game ended, they would head into Game 2. Davey Garcia would take the mound at Yankee Stadium for the first time ever in a regular season game at the age of 21, making his Major League debut. And as I said last week, we had heard this kid's name over and over again in the Yankees minor league system for a couple of years now. We got to see him a little bit in summer camp, and now we're seeing him in the regular season for the first time ever, making his major league debut at the age of 21. And I said last week that I really had hoped he would have a killer debut, and he did just that. Six innings, did not allow an earned run, struck out six guys, and really showcased just how great his stuff is. He can ramp up the fastball velocity as high as 94-95, and then he can drop a devastating 75 or 74 mile an hour curveball on you with a good changeup incorporated in there as well. A really good arsenal that he showcased very well against the Mets last Sunday night, leading to what was a great Major League debut for the kid. It was awesome to see. And the dynamic between him and Eric Kratz, who caught him that night, was even more incredible. Eric Kratz was calling him his son. It's the most adorable thing ever. (laughs) But again, that was part of what I said before, with him talking about and getting emotional about how much it means to him when it comes to helping develop these young Latin pitchers, Davey Garcia being one of them. And it was just an awesome dynamic. So Davey had a great debut. The Yankees would win 5-2. And that was actually a really good rhyme now that I think about it. And it did take extra innings again, but the Yankees would get it done. In the top of the third, and you're probably wondering, hey, those games are being played at Yankee Stadium. Why are the Yankees batting in the top of the third? This is how their scoring started off in the top of the third. And I tell you, as we've said in past weeks, because of the craziness of this season, games like this that were scheduled to be road games for the Yankees... Since home field advantage virtually means nothing other than a difference in building since the fans aren't in attendance, they'll just make the visiting team the home team and count that as a home game for the visiting team. It's bizarre, but it's not the first time we've seen it and we've been over it already. But regardless, in the top of the third as the road team in Yankee Stadium, the Yankees would start the scoring off on a solo shot by Tyler Wade, one of very few good things he's done this year. That solo shot made it one to nothing, and then in the bottom of the sixth, the Mets would tie it up on an RBI single by Dominic Smith, who really just killed the Yankees that weekend. And he's put together a very nice shortened season for himself overall for the Mets, but he just killed the Yankees. And then in the top of the eighth, in extra innings with the game tied at one, something happened that nobody saw coming, and that was Gary Sanchez coming through Big time, hitting a grand slam in the top of the eighth to put the Yankees ahead 5-1. Of course, this has been one of very few big hits Gary has had this year, but boy was it a big one. It got the entire Yankees fan base going insane, including me, as I was literally on my knees begging in front of the television, begging Gary Sanchez to just finally do something. And hey, I'm proud to admit that I begged there because it worked. (laughs) So he came through and hit the Grand Slam to make it 5-1 Yankees. And of course, they would seal the deal. After just giving up a run in the bottom of the eighth on an RBI single by Michael Conforto, the Yankees would seal the deal and win 5-2. They would sweep the doubleheader on Sunday. 
and win three of those five games that happened in just three days last weekend against the Mets. And after what was an awesome day of baseball, as a Yankee fan, you're sitting there saying, hey, Tampa Bay is coming in now. Last time at Yankee Stadium, it was really ugly. Nothing's been the same since that series. And hopefully the Yankees can take that momentum into the Tampa Bay Rays series, get some much-needed wins, maybe even a sweep, make significant inroads in the AL East standings for first place, and really make a statement and get things back on track. But unfortunately, as we know, with the exception of Tuesday night, it went exactly the opposite. Because not only did the Yankees still lose the series, although thankfully they didn't get swept, But not only did they lose the series, but it had a damn embarrassing ending to it too. But it would start off on Monday, and again, another reason to feel confident, Garrett Cole's on the mound, maybe the Yankees would finally figure out Tyler Glass now, but it went totally the opposite. Glass now had the Yankees number yet again, and for the second time in a row against him, the Rays made Garrett Cole work a lot as well, and also made his home run problems continue that we mentioned last weekend, that Garrett Cole's been giving up quite a bit of home runs this year. It's really been a main problem in what's been still mostly an effective season. Every start, Garrett Cole's still racked up a lot of strikeouts. He still shows great stuff, but at times, he's been giving up home runs, and it's not a good problem to have whatsoever. Don't get me wrong, I'm not defending it, but it's really been his main problem. And Cole would go five innings, allowing four runs, and still striking out seven guys. But especially for Garrett Cole's standards, not really a great start by any stretch. But the Yankee offense also did absolutely nothing to help things along and maybe give him some run support, so there's that too. But the home runs off Cole would get started right away in the top of the first when G-Man Choi, and boy did he have Garrett Cole's number this year. I mean, these Rays, you just gotta tip your cap. They evidently did their homework on him. They were all over his slider, that was the home run that G-Man Choi hit. They were mainly all over his fastball too. They did their homework. They did. And they came out ready against Garrett Cole. So that two-run shot by G-Man Choi would make a 2-0 raise. And then in the top of the second, Kevin Kiermeyer would hit a solo shot to make it 3-0. And then in the top of the fifth, Manuel Margot hit an RBI single. That made it a 4-0 game. And then by now, Garrett Cole was already out of the game. But in the top of the sixth... G-Man Choi did even more damage, an RBI single to make it 5-0, and then by then the Yankee offense was like, eh, maybe we should start hitting a little bit, I don't know, sounds like an idea. So then in the bottom of the 7th, Gio Rochella hit a solo shot to make it 5-1, and then in the bottom of the 8th, Luke Voigt hit a two-run homer, his 13th of the year, to make it 5-3 Tampa, and of course that would be the score that the Rays would win by. So, honestly, after what was an incredible day of baseball on Sunday, Monday just ended up being another really lousy game against Tampa as they just continued to manhandle the Yankees. And then Tuesday came around, and this was really the last game that the Yankees won that didn't make your hair turn gray, honestly, up to today. I mean, up until today, other than this game, the Yankees have only won one other game. But I'm just saying this game didn't really have the same amount of stress as so many others have had these last three weeks or so. So many of the games lately have had so much stress and aggravation throughout, but not so much in this one. Masahiro Tanaka, who has done so well against the Rays so often, pitched six innings, just allowing two runs and striking out seven, so a very nice start for him. Jonathan Loisaga would come in after him, pitching an inning and only allowing a run, striking out two, so he did fine. And then Zach Britton and Roldis Chapman would come in afterwards and seal the deal, one of the only times they've done so this season, as a pair. And as you'll hear in just a few minutes, they would not have the same luck on Thursday against the Mets. But the Yankees won this game by the same score they lost by the night before against the Rays. They would win 5-3. And in the beginning of the game, all of the Yankee scoring would be done by just one man. And that would be DJ LeMayhew, who hit two solo shots, 
one in the bottom of the first and one in the bottom of the third to give the Yankees a 2-0 lead. And then in the top of the fifth, the only damage that would be given up by Masahiro Tanaka would be a two-run shot off the bat of that pest, Kevin Kiermeyer. It would be 2-2. Two two. This was really the time in the game where you were a little nervous saying, oh, here we go. But then the Yankees took care of it afterwards. Again, one of the only times lately that they would do so. Right away in the bottom of the sixth, Gio Urshela would give the Yankees the remainder of their total of five runs on the night with a three-run double to make it 5-2 Yankees, and they would hold on after that after only giving up a solo shot for the rest of the game in the top of the seventh to Willie Adamas, and the Yankees would seal the deal and win 5-3, and the rubber game matchup would happen on Wednesday. But it wasn't as cut and dry as that to finish the game because to end the game with Aroldis Chapman on the mound against Michael Brasso, if you remember, Aroldis Chapman threw a 101 mile per hour fastball towards the head of Michael Brasso. Fortunately, Brasso got out of the way. But tensions were really high after that. The Rays took a big issue with that, especially after the game was over, which is a tiny bit hypocritical because of the amount of times the Rays pitch inside, especially against the Yankees too. But of course, I can't blame the Rays for being upset at one of their players having a 101 mile per hour fastball thrown by their head. That's really scary. That hits you in the right spot. You're dead. So I get that scaring them a bit, but Kevin Cash's comments, Kevin Cash, of course, being the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, his comments after the game were just completely outrageous, which is what ultimately got him suspended for a game, saying that he has a whole stable of guys that throw 98 miles per hour. Yeah, that's a real mature way to ease tensions there. Just threaten the opposition for the next day. <laughs> So, not very smart on his part. But after that, suspensions were handed out. Aroldis Chapman received a three-game suspension, which he then appealed, because he said he didn't do it on purpose. And then Aaron Boone was suspended for a game for basically doing nothing, except for being Aroldis Chapman's manager, I guess? <laughs> I don't know. So he was suspended for virtually no reason other than just being the manager. Major League Baseball doing a brilliant job there yet again, suspending a manager for doing nothing other than being a manager, and obviously not even suspending a certain other group of people for a single game for wronging the sport much worse. I think you all know what I'm talking about. So another A-plus for Major League Baseball right there. And then of course for his comments, Rays manager Kevin Cash, because of his post-game comments, was also suspended for a game. So not only was the series on the line going into Wednesday, but tensions were also high, and whichever team came out with the win on Wednesday was definitely going to make a statement and have the last laugh. And with the way they've played for the last three weeks or so, did you really think that team was going to be the Yankees to make that statement? Nah. <laughs> the complete opposite happened. Because in the final game on Wednesday, right out of the gate, the Rays would absolutely lay the smackdown on the Yankees. Jordan Montgomery pitched kind of, starting the game for the Yankees. He didn't even make it through a single inning of work, only going two-thirds of an inning, allowing four runs in two-thirds of an inning. And of course, by having such a short start, he also just completely murdered the Yankee bullpen afterwards because the Yankee bullpen had to eat up eight and a third innings, thanks to Jordan Montgomery only getting two outs. The Rays would end up winning the game 5-2, to two, and three of those five runs would also come off the bat of the guy who was furious from the night before and came out wanting to make that huge statement, and he did, credit to him, Michael Brasso, who just made the Yankees on Wednesday look like complete clowns. So again, in the top of the first, got started right away with a two-run shot off the bat of Randy Arozarena, 
followed by a two-run shot off the bat of Michael Brasso to make it 4-0 in the first inning, and Jordan Montgomery would get his quick exit right out of the game after that. But then in the top of the fourth, it wasn't over yet because Mike Brasso put another run on the board with the solo shot to make it 5-0, and at this point, your confidence is just through the floor if you're a Yankee fan. But the Yankees, again, put a couple of runs on the board, but it didn't really mean much of anything ultimately. In the bottom of the sixth, Clint Frazier hit a solo shot to make it 5-1, and then in the bottom of the ninth, DJ LeMay, who hit an RBI single to make it 5-2, and that was that. So unlike the Yankees, the Rays take the series and their dignity out of Yankee Stadium. Finishing the season 8-2 against the Yankees. They completely owned the Yankees this year. Another complete embarrassment for the Yankees as they headed to City Field for one game to play a makeup game and their final game against the Mets. And this would also be a big disaster because the man who complained about his spot in the rotation being skipped, Jay Happ, would start the game and actually started off pretty good until, of course, the wheels fell off inevitably for a guy like Jay Happ. He only pitched five innings, allowed four runs, and just struck out four guys, giving up eight hits. But for once, the Yankee offense was actually alive, but you know what that means. The Yankee offense being alive means another component of the team has to fail, because that's just how things have been going lately. And that's exactly what would happen, because the Yankees, after leading 4 to nothing at one point, and then 7-4 to in the 8th inning, would lose the game 9-7 to in extras. Embarrassingly so, to a team like the Mets, who before this were having so much trouble with basically everybody else other than the Yankees when it came to score. But again, at one point, the Yankees had the lead 4 to nothing before everything just came apart. They had the lead multiple times in this game, and it started off in the top of the second. Tyler Wade hit an RBI single to make it one nothing. DJ LeMay, who hit a sack fly to make it 2 nothing, and Luke Voigt hit a two-run double to make it 4 nothing Yankees. And then that's when the Mets would creep back into it. Todd Frazier in the bottom of the second, who had just gotten back with the Mets at the deadline out of nowhere, hit a solo shot off Jay Happ to make it 4-1 to in the bottom of the second, and then in the bottom of the fourth, Jake Marisnik hit an RBI double to make it 4-2 to Yankees, and then it was 4-3 to Yankees after an RBI single by Ahmed Rosario, and it was tied up at four after an RBI single by Jeff McNeil, at which point Jay Happ would exit. Hopefully, never to complain about his spot in rotation being skipped again. At least he better not. But then the Yankees actually rarely showed some life offensively again after that, because in the top of the seventh, Gio Rochella hit an RBI single to make it 5-4, and then Brett Gardner, who hasn't done much this year, hit an RBI double to make it 6-4, and then Aaron Hicks in the top of the eighth made it 7-4 on an RBI single of his own. And then, this was when it all came apart, in the eighth inning, when the Yankees have a 7-4 lead with guys like Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman coming in, you think, hey, the game's over. But that would not be the case. You know that because the offense was good, which means some other component of the team has to fail. And it was the bullpen yet again. And it was now time for Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman to cough this game up. Because in the bottom of the eighth with Zach Britton in, Ahmed Rosario hit a two-run single to make it 7-6. And then in the bottom of the ninth, Aroldis Chapman was in. He would give up a solo shot to J.D. Davis right after the Yankees were luckily able to throw out the speedy Billy Hamilton on base. But, of course, they couldn't close it out because they had to give up that home run to J.D. Davis. And then because of the limited Yankee bullpen because the day before, Jordan Montgomery got two outs in the game, you had Albert Abreu, a minor league pitcher in the game, to face Pete Alonso in the bottom of the 10th with the runner on second, since it was extra innings. And Pete Alonso walked it off 
and the Mets won 9-7. Yet another shamefully embarrassing loss for the Yankees. Only to head into yet another doubleheader the next night on Friday against the Orioles. And you're saying, boy, I just hope they can beat up on the Orioles, who they usually always beat up on to get somewhat back on track. And you know what? Not the case yet again as they continue to lose. And yeah, they did win the first game, but it hasn't been good at all since then. Michael King was on the mound again. He would give up three runs in four innings, not having a great start yet again. And he did pitch scoreless second and third innings, even though he got into trouble in those innings. But he did give up a two-run shot in the fourth inning that would lead to him exiting the game. And of course, in the first inning, and you really should evaluate your career when you do this, but he started the game by giving up a solo shot to give the Orioles a 1-0 lead to Cedric Mullins, who has literally no power whatsoever. So that put a bad taste in your mouth right away. The Orioles just jumped out in front one to nothing right away. But then Gary Sanchez hitting his seventh home run of the year tied up the game at one. And of course, Gary Sanchez only has about 13 hits this year. Seven of them are those seven home runs, which is just really bad. Again, the lowest average in Major League Baseball. And you could just say that batting average doesn't matter, but it does at least a little bit to me. I don't care what anybody says. It is just one of many stats that back up just how brutal Gary Sanchez has been this year. But he did tie the game here. He might as well do something like that because there is little to nothing to defend him on at all anymore. Maybe except for the Grand Slam that he hit last weekend, but that's it, really. He's done little to nothing at all this year. But then the Yankees continued their scoring after that in the top of the third. Brett Gardner hit a two-run single to make it 3-1. to one. Mike Talkman walked in a run to make it 4-1. to one. But then the Orioles would tie the game after that in the bottom of the fourth. Rio Ruiz would go deep, a two-run shot to make it 4-3 to three Yankees. And then Renato Nunez would hit a game-tying solo shot to make it 4-4. to four. But then in the top of the ninth, in extras, this is when the Yankees barely squeezed out their victory. Miguel Andujar would hit an RBI single to make it 5-4. to four. And then Clint Frazier would hit an RBI single to make it 6-4 Yankees, and then after only giving up one run in the bottom of the ninth on a double play by Renato Nunez, which just drove in a run, the Yankees would win 6-5. So they notched out a win, but then the frustration would kick in again right after that in Game 2 when they would lose 6-3, which was after, unfortunately, another really good start by David Garcia. His line is really deceiving because a couple of those earned runs he gave up were on runs that crossed the plate after he exited, but while Clark Schmidt was pitching, who also made his Major League debut on Friday night. So only two pitchers saw the mound on Friday night for the Yankees in Game 2. One of them was pitching his second start in the majors, and the other one was making his Major League debut. The first, of course, being Davey Garcia, and the latter being Clark Schmidt. In the bottom of the second, Ryan Mountcastle would hit a two-run shot off Davey Garcia, which were really the only two true runs that he gave up while he was on the mound. But that's all good because in his time on the mound on Friday, even though it wasn't as good as the start on Sunday against the Mets, he still showed some really good things. But the Yankees had his back there for a second. In the top of the third, Thyro Estrada hit an RBI ground out by driving home Tyler Wade. It's really odd saying that because those are both guys who have done absolutely little to nothing at all. But that was also assisted on an error that the Orioles made on defense, so... And then in the top of the fourth, in the nicest of ways, Davey Garcia's baseball dad, Eric Kratz, comes through with a go-ahead two-run single in the top of the fourth to give the Yankees a 3-2 lead. So the dad had his son's back. How do you like that? 
And then after that, unfortunately, in the bottom of the fifth, Davey Garcia had gotten two outs in the bottom of the fifth, but was taken out when he was in a jam. And Aaron Boone gave the ball to a debuting Clark Schmidt. And it wouldn't be a fun time for Clark Schmidt because he had himself a rough inning, could not get out of it unscathed. And both of those runners that Davey Garcia left on base would end up scoring. And unfortunately, as I said before, those runs were charged to Davey Garcia, which is unfortunate because as I said, he was better that night than what his line said. And he already got a no decision on Sunday against the Mets when he deserved a win that night. And now in this start, unfortunately, he would be dealt his first major league loss. And both because of Clark Schmidt's solid stuff and the Yankees still being a little limited in the bullpen. Obviously, Boone didn't want to use Adovino as of yet because he was probably waiting to use him for the save after Britton and Chapman had been used quite a bit the nights prior. Boone brought in Clark Schmidt in that situation, and he has come under fire since doing that because a lot of Yankee fans were like, well, why would you throw him into the fire like that in his Major League debut, put him into a jam like that, put him under that kind of pressure? And unfortunately, just for everyone on the Yankees, especially Aaron Boone and Clark Schmidt, it just did not work out. Because in the bottom of the fifth, when Clark Schmidt came in, Ryan Mountcastle hit a game-tying RBI single to make it 3-3. Then Rio Ruiz put the Orioles in front by hitting an RBI single, making it 4-3. And then it was made 6-3 after Pat Vileka hit a two-run double to make it 6-3 Orioles. And that is, of course, the score that the Yankees would lose by. And they would split the doubleheader, and their 19-game winning streak against the Orioles would come to an end. And it would continue yesterday as the Yankees would lose 6-1. to one. Yes, even with Garrett Cole on the mound. And Garrett looked fantastic, especially in his first three innings of work, three perfect innings, struck out eight of the first nine batters he faced. He was really on the money, and he truly was fantastic up until the sixth inning where everything went downhill, and it really was not on Garrett Cole other than him giving up a solo shot to DJ Stewart. But up until that sixth inning, nothing had gone down with the Yankee offense. In fact, nothing even did until the top of the eighth inning when Clint Frazier hit a solo shot in the top of the eighth to make it 6-1. Orioles at that time, but the damage had already long been done. It was pointless. Obviously, I'm glad they didn't get shut out, but at this point, with how they've been doing, who cares? You want them to win. And after giving Garrett Cole no run support whatsoever, they were like, ah, yeah, let's score in the top of the eighth just once after the damage is already done when we could have had Garrett's back innings ago. So yeah, up until the sixth inning, Garrett Cole was virtually untouchable, but then DJ Stewart hit that solo shot, and then after that, Dairo Estrada, yet again, as I said before, doing really awful at the plate, which he looked horrendous at the plate last night, yet again, as I said, and when I meant by not even doing you any favors on the field, this was definitely a fine example of it. He botches a routine ground ball to third, which then results in the wheels completely falling off of what was a very controlled game, and things just got out of control in an inning that Garrett Cole should have been out of long before any of these additional runs even scored, and thankfully they were not earned runs. The only earned run in this inning against Garrett Cole was the solo shot by DJ Stewart. But after Thyro Estrada's awful error over there at third base, Ryan Mountcastle hits a two-run single to make it 3-0 Orioles, then Rio Ruiz hit a two-run ground rule double to make it 5-0 Orioles, and then in the bottom of the seventh, DJ Stewart would go deep again to make it 6-0 Orioles. 
And that's why the two-run homer at the beginning of today's game that I just reacted to before was even more irritating than just the home run itself because he already hit two home runs last night and before this series against the Yankees, he was literally doing nothing. So then after it was 6 nothing, that's when Clint Frazier hit that solo shot in the top of the eighth that does nothing for anybody, even though, hey, I'll always welcome a home run, but the damage was long done and the Yankees lost 6-1. to one. So now today, they come in today, they're already losing. Now it's 2-1. to one. I just noticed Eric Kratz hit a ball to third, and the force was made at third, but he beat it out at first, so on the force out, a run came home. It's 2-1 to one Orioles now. The Yankees are still losing. So, as of right now, my prediction earlier was right. We'll see if it holds for the rest of the game. Of course, I hope it doesn't hold. I want the Yankees to win. As far as what's ahead, guys, and yeah, I know, it's a long one today. We had a lot to recap this week. It was a lot of games. Two doubleheaders and no days off this past week. But up ahead, coming up, as I said earlier, starting tomorrow, the Yankees begin a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays in Buffalo. Tomorrow night's game is at 6.37 p.m. Eastern. So is Tuesday night's game, and Wednesday night's game is also at 6.37 p.m. Eastern. Tomorrow night, Jordan Montgomery will be on the mound, and hopefully he is much better than the last time he was out there against Tampa. On Tuesday, Jay Happ will be on the mound. Lord help us. And then on Wednesday, Davey Garcia will be back on the mound. He should be appointed the 29-man again by then, and hopefully he has himself another nice start. On Thursday... The Yankees will have another series at Yankee Stadium, though, this time against the Orioles. Another four-game series, but no doubleheaders. On Thursday, the game will be at 7.05 p.m. Eastern. On Friday, it'll be at 7.05 again. On Saturday, it'll be at 1.05. And on Sunday, when I talk to you next Sunday on September the 13th, it'll also be at 1.05. So the Blue Jays and the Orioles coming up this week. And again, if the Yankees end up losing today and the Blue Jays end up winning, then we'll go into tomorrow with the Blue Jays ahead of the Yankees by one game and the Orioles behind the Yankees for the eight seed and third place in the AL East by just two games. I don't know what in the heck the Yankees are waiting for, but they had better start winning because right now, again, we are all disgusted. But as for now, guys, that is all for episode 62 of Yapping Yankees today. One last shout out to Team Left Jab and Grunt Talks MLB before we end today. Team Left Jab features Team Left Jab Uncensored and the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms at Team Left Jab and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, iHeart, you name it, the list goes on, guys. Be sure to check out Team Left Jab. And our other shout out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, follow the man behind the website, Darren, on Twitter at Yankee Report 28. Special thanks to Grunt Talks MLB and Team Left Jab for helping spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. And also, of course, be sure to follow me on all social medias, guys, so you can keep up on the latest having to do with me personally, along with the Yankees and Yapping Yankees announcements, content, and Twitter and Instagram polls and social media segments every Saturday. Follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram as well at Mike Scuds 
97. And I would also really appreciate it, guys, if you took the time to hit that subscribe button on the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel and also subscribe and always listen to Yapping Yankees on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're at it, listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you've missed. Episodes 34 up to this one, episode 62, are available on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You know that Yapping Yankees is available on all four of those platforms, so do help spread the word and tell everybody you know to listen to Yapping Yankees. Once again, thank you 3000 for listening to me yap today, guys. I am Mike Scudero, and I'll talk to you next Sunday, September 13th, when I come at you with episode 63 of Yapping Yankees. Until then, guys, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe out there. Look out for your loved ones and also have a happy Labor Day tomorrow. Hopefully you have the day off tomorrow and you can take a break from the craziness of life these days and safely enjoy the day. Have a good one, guys. We'll see where the Yanks are at come next Sunday. Lord help us all. Take care. (laughs) 